Hi, this is Bill Arnold. Missed a show or need me talking to help you sleep tonight? I have several solutions to that situation. Here are the podcasts from the show. You are the best for listening and supporting Faith Radio. Afternoons with me. I'm Bill Arnold, and thank you to David Miles and Rosie B. That was a great uh, Monday afternoon mix, so very much enjoyed that. And I was able to sit back and watch you two discuss. That was a very interesting 30 uh, minutes. Yeah, I don't talk much about that part of my life. Oh, you don't. Yeah, that was yeah. really interesting. But today we're going to talk about relationships and marriage in particular with Dr. Glenn Pickering. And as you know, he's the uh, relationship doctor and the tag doctor, and he kind of does. All relationships really insightful and brilliant, and we're glad to have them. Glenn, welcome. Well, thanks for that intro. That's great. Yeah. So <laughs> I let's, could retire now. That's I it. know. I know. Tell me a little bit about the marriage relationship. Well, I want to talk about relationships just in general at first, if okay. that's okay. Just that's fine. They're important sort yeah. of in general, and then we can talk more specifically about the marriage relationship. I um, Some questions I hear that I work with people on their relationships in my counseling practice and in my seminars and my teaching, and they're like, oh, that'd be be kind of a good thing for Christians to work on. And I think, yeah, see, you really don't get it. It's the only thing for us to work on. I mean, relationships are why we're here. And um, they're literally an experience of God's presence, which I'm going to talk about more in a minute. But I just think, you know, when people ask Jesus, what's the greatest commandment? And of course, he gives them two, you know, love your God with all your heart, love your neighbor as yourself. And he's trying to help us understand if we get our vertical relationship right with God and our horizontal relationships right with other people, we have literally fulfilled every part of the law. I mean, mm. we are literally living in right life. And so it's really important to understand that for a Christian, relationships are not a thing that happen off to the side while we're busy doing the important work of our faith. It's like, that is the work of our faith. And getting better and better and more and more Christ-like in how we do our relationship with God and with other people is the whole work of why we're here. So it's important to understand the context when we talk about why is marriage important. It happens in a context of why relationships are important of all sorts, because they were really they are our calling. So it's just important to understand, and it's important to understand too that Jesus talks first about our relationship with God to be filled with God's love, and then it's that love that enables us then to care for our brothers and our sisters because we couldn't do it under our own power. So it's important if we get that to understand that whatever it is that we do that fills us up with God's love whether it's going to worship, you know, listen to Christian songs, being a prayer, reading your Bible, being out in God's nature, holding the hand of a little one who's a miracle in and of its own self, whatever it is that fills you up, we need to make a point of doing that because that's the only way we're going to do our relationships right, the only way we can bring God's love into those relationships. So, I think a couple times a year, Glenn, I quote a guy who's passed on to go with the Lord, Walt Hendrickson. I did Bible study with him for a couple of years. He flew in once a month from Colorado and uh, led a group of about uh, 20 guys, and I was part of that. And he said, God makes you an incredible offer. You can give your life in exchange for the same thing for which Jesus spent his life, people. Right. People last forever. For good or bad, they are eternal. Spend your life helping them prepare for eternity. Don't give your life to mediocrity. Life is too short, and the issues of eternity too significant. Right, right. 
In other words, other than your relationship with God and relationships with other people, <laughs> you don't have a reason to be here. <laughs> yeah. And so I think it's just important, like, again, in the context. Why is marriage important? Well, partly because every relationship is important. And, and unless we get that part, we don't really understand the marriage part. And I think, so it's interesting that Jesus talks about that in the Great Commandment. It's also interesting to me, I love reading those stories, you know, about people with near-death experiences, you know, die, cross over, come yeah, back. I don't tell like those stories like at inside. all. You and I are completely opposite about <laughs> that. Actually, those whole stories make me very uncomfortable. That's interesting. Yeah. I'll, I'll tell you why you're wrong later on. But well, you're fine. <laughs> I don't mind. <laughs> I really get my job to accept everybody exactly how they are, even you. Now, okay. So, but what they talk about is that there really is this life review that people always talk about, that we literally see every bit of our life sort of instantaneously, sort of in order. And what we see is not just everything we did. We saw the way that everything we did affected every person in our life. Like we literally see the impact. And so it's like our preparation for going crossing over even is to understand that what matters is the impact that we have on people in our life, which makes so much sense to me because all of our callings are relational. You know, if you ask somebody, well, what's your calling? And they kind of hem and they haul like they don't know, but then they'll name two or three things that they know they're specifically called to do or that they're gifted to do. And I think, and no matter what it is, you'll notice it's relational. So you have to have a crossover experience in order for that to be important, that relationships are important? Absolutely. So. <laughs> I don't know anyone who's done that. I don't know what to do with this point. So, um, no, what I'm saying is this. Whether you look at it from the biblical perspective or the stories of the people who come back or just the things you're called to do, what you'll notice is in every single instance what you hear is what matters is the relationship. And so if people say they're calling, they're going to say, I want to be a better teacher, a better mom, a husband, a, a better parent to my kid. I want to care for the kids at our school. I want to work with autistic kids. I want to be a better preacher. It's like all those are relational. I mean, everything that we're called to do happens and occurs in a relationship. The reason why we're here is to serve others in those relationships, just like that quote you are talking about a second ago. So we need to understand then as a Christian that relationships are not a thing we do in addition to our faith. Relationships are our faith. They're the absolute center of everything that we do here. All right. Well, let's move on to the Great Commandment. All right, then. Um, so what I'm thinking is this. Given that all of our callings are relational, it's interesting, then, that we have to actually be in right relationship to do our calling. So if, uh, if I know that one of my callings is to be a really great husband, for example except my wife and I are always bickering, always criticizing each other. It gets so bad we start looking for ways to avoid each other. Well, how am I going to do my calling in that relationship? If my calling is to be a better husband, how am I going to do it if that's what our relationship looks like? So I need to work hard at being in right relationships just to do my calling. But like everything God calls us to do is always a win-win. So the flip side is also true. I need to work in my relationships in order to do my calling of being a better husband. But working at being a better husband puts me in better relationships. Mm -hmm. So it's God's always working on that one from both sides, as nearly as I can tell. Mm, that's interesting. All right. Talk about life review. All right. We sure can, but um, <laughs> we can skip over that if that's better for you. Um, so I'm actually going to talk about this then. So from a biblical perspective, I think this is really interesting. So if you read the book of Mark. He starts off in chapter 1, verse 40, and all the way through the beginning of chapter 3. He tells us seven stories, and they all have the same theme. And it's important to understand now in Mark's time, 
Seven, the number seven meant perfect. And not perfect like we mean it in that worldly way, like we don't make mistakes, but perfect like now you know everything. Now your understanding is perfect. Now you are complete in what you know. And in every one of those seven stories, starting with uh, the lepers who come up to Jesus and ask to be healed, Jesus is put in a situation where he can either obey the rule, which is that he's had nothing to do with those lepers. He sure shouldn't be talking to them. And the fact that he actually touched them is just like shocking. You can't read that story from a Jewish perspective without throwing up in the back of your throat. I mean, it's just, it's literally shocking. Seven times in a row, Jesus is put in a situation where he has to choose. And we're going to obey the rule. And we're going to honor the relationship with this person that's in front of me all the way through to the end where he heals a person with a withered hand on the Sabbath. Again, against the rule, with this person with a withered hand right in front of him. And what does Jesus do? He always chooses the relationship, to live in right relationship with each other. So, we need to know. And then he calls his disciples, which I think is so interesting. So it's like, so Mark says, okay, so here's the thing. You have to really get, it's not going to be about the rules, not going to be about following some religious um, stereotype of everything you should be doing with your time. It's going to be about the relationship. And if you think it has to just be about the rules, you're going to be real disappointed. If you get that it's really about living a right relationship with one another, then you can be a disciple of Jesus. And so, and at that point, people will choose. And some choose to follow him. And then it says, and the Pharisees and Herodians plotted to kill him. So in other words, it's very clear. Once we get, oh, that's what you think you're about, people had a very clear reaction. Either, oh, my goodness, that's what I want to follow. That's mm-hmm. what the Messiah looks like. Or... um. He needs to be dead. Like, those, are, like, those are the two options because it's so shocking, the things that he was saying to them. Like, yeah, I get you love the rules, and I get those are good guidelines, actually, but if you think the rules are more important than your relationships with the people who are standing in front of you, you literally don't get it. And, um, and the relationships are always first. There are no exceptions. Mm-hmm. So, again, see, if we think that we're about anything other than honoring and healing our relationships with the people who are in front of us, we really don't get what we're called to do. We don't even get what our faith's about. Yeah, great point. Dr. Glenn Pickering is our guest. We're talking about marriage today. And if you have uh, anything you hear that you'd like some more um, information on, or maybe you've got a question, you can send it over via text, 877-933-2484. Again, 877-933-2484. We'll be right back. joined us. Dr. Glenn Pickering is my guest today. We're talking about marriage, and it's the relationship where we most clearly experience God's presence. That's right, and I want to talk about that for a second, but I want to mm-hmm. sort of set it up a little bit by just saying, I get that, um, that falling in love experience is an experience of an intense connection to another person. That's why I want to talk about marriage. But just so other people are listening who are perhaps not married, if you have a kid who you adore or a friend who's really dear to you, this is also true in those relationships. This is true of every relationship where you feel an intense connection to that person. So I talk about marriage just because it's a handy way to talk about that. Mm-hmm. It's important to understand. Any relationship that you're in that you feel intensely connected to another person, everything I'm going to say about marriage is also true. So it says in First John 4 that, um, that God is love. 
And people nod their head like, oh, uh-huh. And I think, no, you don't get it. That is a powerful, life-changing sentence. It doesn't say that love is one of God's characteristics or one of the things about God is that God is really loving. It says God is love. And if we get that, it shifts everything for us. Now, the Apostle Paul is wrestling with this very same question in Colossians 3, and he's talking about, well, what does love look like? And he talks about how we should treat each other and how we should speak to each other, etc., in a loving relationship. But he doesn't really address the question, what does love mean? And then finally, right at the end, in Colossians 3, 12, he says, love is that which binds together all living things. And I think, right, God is love, and love is that which binds together all living things. So God is that loving, powerful force that literally binds together all living things. So sometimes people say to me, Glenn, you know, couples come to me, they want to have a good marriage. They say, Glenn, we really want a God-centered marriage. And I love that thought. So I'm not, I don't mean anything bad about this. But I always think to myself, you know, get it. Every relationship is a God-centered relationship. Every connection we have to each other, that connection we experience is an experience of God's presence. So you will have a God-centered relationship. Now, you can choose to honor that or not. You can choose to build on that or not. You can choose to live in the understanding of the sacredness of that or not. But you don't get to decide if God is at the center of your relationship. Just like I don't get to get up this morning and think, you know, I think today there's going to be gravity. It's like, no, there will be gravity. Now, I can decide to ignore that and throw myself off the cliff to my detriment. Mm-hmm. Or I can just choose to honor that and understand that's true. Well, gravity is a powerful force, but God loves a million times stronger than that one. And we just need to understand there is this powerful force that binds us to one another. And, um, and so then when, uh, later on in First John 4, 17, where it says, so anybody who says they love God but hate their brother or their sister is a liar and the truth is not in them. And, you know, you read that language, and that's pretty strong language. And, and when I was younger, I think I used to hear that more judgmentally. But now I understand. John's not, John is not trying to be judgmental, just clear. God is that force that connects me to you. So if I say I love God, but I dishonor the connection between me and you, I literally don't get what I'm talking about. I think God is up there somewhere separate from all this, but God is the force that connects me to you. So if I dishonor or dismiss or ignore my relationship with you while I think I'm honoring God in my life, I need to understand that's just not true. John says, you're a liar and the truth is not in you, (laughs) which is kind of an intense way to say that. But he's just trying to almost shock people into understanding your way of thinking about God is wrong. God is that powerful force that connects you to every living being, which is why we can hear about people in the Ukraine getting hurt, and we want to send them money and help care for them because they matter to us. We don't Mm -hmm. even know their names. And if you knew them, you probably couldn't pronounce them, but they still matter to you because God is that powerful force that connects us to every other living being. So... Once we know that, then when you think about love, marriage, falling in love, or like I said, if you have a kid that you're a parent of or a friend that's really, really close to you, people always say, well, Glenn, you know, you fall in love, but then reality sets in. And I think, yeah, see, that's really, really messed up. When someone's in love or they have a kid that they adore or a friend that's just really dear to them and they look at them with loving eyes and think, you're amazing, you are so great. That's not the fantasy. That's seeing them the way God sees them. That's the truth about them. It's not that, well, we have that fantasy and then reality sets in. I think, no, no, no. If there's a person in my life who's really important to me, a spouse, a kid, a friend who's really dear to me, and I start to take them for granted or dismiss them or not really spend time with them or even sort of are a little harsh with them from time to time, I need to understand 
I have lost sight of what's true. It's not that I used to live in a fantasy, but now I'm coming back to reality. It's like I've literally lost track of reality. I've lost sight of who they are. Now, the great thing is, anytime there's somebody in your life who's really important to you, and you have lost sight temporarily of just how amazing they actually are, you can ask God at any time to remind you (laughs) of how great they are and how gifted they are and how important they are to you and how dear they are to you and how close they are to your heart. And God will remind you in the clearest possible way that that's true at which point they will shift instantly the way that you're talking to them or acting towards them or being mm-hmm. with them. So God will help us regain our sight, I always think, because <laughs> we forget. Yeah, what a what a strong little exercise to be reminded, to ask right. God. Yes, help re- me see this person see. for who they really are. That's right. probably a daily basis, isn't yes. it? Yes, I'm thinking that all the time. And if there's anybody who's really important to me and I feel myself getting irritated with them in any way or frustrated or upset with them, I just can know for absolute certain. I've literally lost sight of who they actually are. Mm-hmm. I've fallen for my ego's picture of them, which means you're not doing what I want, therefore you're irritating. <laughs> See, that's just my little human ego chattering, thinking yeah. I should always just get what I want. <laughs> I need to remember who I'm actually talking to, who I'm actually spending my time with, because that's what's actually real. And you've heard me talk a million times on this show about the importance of being what I call a second responder, to not go with our knee-jerk response, but slow down a lot to let God put the right words in my heart. Mm -hmm. This is why we need to do that. I would love a refresher course on that for listeners on the second responder, because it's so good. Okay, cool. We've got a few minutes, so let's do that. Okay. I always think, you know, we have knee-jerk reactions to almost everything, and that's just my little ego chattering, judging this, criticizing that, blah, blah, blah. So... If somebody says something that's a little frustrating or a little irritating to me, I can literally feel that knee-jerk response in me to them. And I need to understand that response is not me, it's not helpful, and it's not true. And a huge part of sanctification, of being a believer and of really being shaped more and more into Christ's image, is to slow down long enough so that me and God can prayerfully choose the way we really want to respond to whatever it is that just happened. And I promise you, if you give yourself two or three seconds, God will show up. God will give you a better way of seeing that situation and of speaking to that situation. And you will come up with a sentence that later on you're going to think, wow, how did I come up with that? And it's important to remember, you didn't. <laughs> mm-hmm. And even talk about how that, how you deal with that rel- relative to things like addictions and things. Oh, yeah. I, um, I think, well, let me start from here. Oftentimes people come into my office in my first session and they'll say, Glenn, I've made so many bad decisions in my life. And I'm like, okay, I mean, I want to listen. I want to make sure I understand. But mostly I'm going to find out that they haven't made decisions. They just go with their knee-jerk reactions in certain situations. Oh, and they're literally not thinking. Anytime, so they haven't made a decision. Right. Anytime we actually slow down long to make a decision, we get that right about 98% of the time. Mm. Me and God are mostly Right. So if I listen long enough to let God put a sentence on me that I feel really great about saying, like, yep, that's what's really true. That's what I would want to say there. That's almost always going to go well. But so often we don't do that. We just let our ego start talking. And those sentences will nearly always be destructive Mm -hmm. or or even just flippant, which is not helpful either. I just think we need to slow down long enough to make sure that we're responding the way we want to. Okay. Having said that, an addiction is just a repeated way of responding in a knee-jerk fashion. And I, I do it and do it and do it and do it. It literally becomes such a habit that I literally just continue to do that all through my life without actually making any decisions. 
And so I live literally a life in which I don't make decisions. What a, what a cycle of insanity. Yes, honest to goodness. And um, yes. And so when addicted people ask God to restore them to sanity, I think there's a reason why they ask that because they mm-hmm. realize, bring me back to that place where you and me can actually make decisions that actually make sense because the things I'm doing now are not decisions and they don't make any sense. Right. Because you're just going with your knee-jerk reaction all the time. Mm. Very good. All right, let's go back uh, to, I think we got another passage a passage in Colossians, don't we? Yeah, that's where um, the Apostle Paul talks about how love is that which binds together all living things. So it's the root of everything John's trying to talk about, that if we really, really get who God is, that God is that love that connects me to you, then I can't say I love God and dishonor my connection to you, which is if I'm just going with my first response, which is sort of critical or judgmental or kind of harsh or snappy, the I'm not honoring my connection to you. I'm literally not loving God. When people say, well, I want to honor God, Glenn, I think good for you, A. B, that means you have to be really, really thoughtful about how you talk and act towards all the God's children who are going to come before you today because they are just as precious to God as you are, and we need to remember that when we're speaking to them because we are connected by them to them by God's love, and we need to remember better and better that that's true. And when we say someone's a really mature Christian, I promise you what that mostly means is they have a really, really, really good way of how they interact with the other people in their life. They're slower, they're more careful, they're patient, they choose their words carefully, and those words always come out loving and kind. All right, very good. Dr. Glenn Pickering is our guest. We're talking about marriage today. And we've got time. Well, we don't, I don't know if we have enough time. First John four 17. Love to talk about that too. Well, well says, we get started on that yeah, before the break. Well, yeah, it's a little bit of what I was talking about before. That's where John says that you know, um, if we say we love God but hate our brother or sister, the truth is not in us. It's mm-hmm. like we just need to understand. This is such a powerful concept, which is why John is just trying to almost jar us into understanding. You think God is far away out there somewhere else, and you need to understand God is literally that force that connects you to every living being. So, if you say you want to honor God, great. Pay really careful attention how you interact with other people mm-hmm. in front of you, because that connection between you is literally God's presence. Yeah, I love what you said about God uh, is love, and it's basically not something that's on a, on his resume. It's who he is. Right, exactly. It is yeah. literally, I God is. So when God says I am, we could all say God is, and God is love. So yeah. All right, it's a great start. If you have a question or you've heard something you'd like a little elaboration on, let me know what it is. You can text the question over to 877-933-2484. Again, text the question to 877-933-2484. If you like uh, email, I'm open for that as well. You can email me, bill, at myfaithradio.com. Dr. Glenn Pickering is my guest. I'll be right back.
you just joined me today. Welcome. Glad to have you with me. We're talking to Dr. Glenn Pickering today, talking about marriage and relationships and how important they are and um, transformation in marriage is, I think, what we're going to talk about next, Glenn. That's right. I, um, well, but somebody asked about, during the break, about addictions, uh, cushions and addictions. So I want to just talk about that for one second, if that's okay. And please, please, back. yeah. Great. Okay. Um, you know, there's a reason why, you know, what the first part of addiction is to sort of understand um, that my life's become unmanageable. And by unmanageable, that means there's something else in charge of my life other than me. And it's important to understand whether that thing is alcohol or, some of Christians, approval, or, if you love drama, adrenaline. Mm. Like, no matter which one of those you think you have to have, that is in charge of your life, not you. So when they say at the first step, my life has become unmanageable, it's like, right, because something else is managing your life, not you. And whether it's alcohol and a drug or approval or adrenaline or needing to be right, there's something that's literally driving you. And no matter which one of those it is, it will wreck your relationships. Because now there's something more important to you than those relationships. Mm -hmm. And it will show up in your life, no matter what. If I love adrenaline... And instead of having a pleasant conversation with my friend, I'd say something that creates drama, and we're going to do drama and play tag instead of having the converse, the loving, caring, interesting conversation we could have had otherwise. If I need approval and somebody says, hey, Glenn, could you help me? Oh, sure, right, absolutely. Instead of saying, well, here's what I'm actually doing right now. If you can give me a few minutes, maybe you can help me too first. And we'll, again, we'll have an interesting conversation of some sort where two people actually meet. But if I have to say yes, then once again, we didn't actually connect. There's, I mean, there's something literally in my life that keeps me from showing up as me. So that's why the first step is to understand Christian perspective, that my life is unmanageable. That means there's something other than myself who's in charge of me. And the first step is thinking, I get this, and I'm not going to put myself back in I'm not going to get there by myself. I need me and God to be back in charge of my life because, honestly, whenever I'm a second responder, slow down long for me and God to pray about something for a couple of seconds and then speak— it's me and God together, that partnership, that thing I said a long time ago on our show that, you know, one plus a million is still a big number. So if me and God are lined up and we take three seconds to decide what I'm going to do and then we do it, I have a pretty darn high probability of making good decisions. Mm-hmm. Whereas if I'm addicted to alcohol, approval, adrenaline, doesn't matter what, I'm not making decisions. So it's not that I'm making bad decisions like I was saying a second ago before. I'm not making decisions. I'm just going with my knee-jerk reactions, which means I don't show up which means that connection that could have happened between me and that other person doesn't happen. And since everything that's sacred and holy happens in relationship, that means everything godly just went out the window. That's pretty sobering. Yeah, hopefully. Yeah, hopefully you do get sober. (laughs) And it's important to remember, no matter what you're addicted to, if it could be food, approval, like I say, whatever that is, it just means you have a whole set of automatic reactions that are getting in the way of you actually making decisions. And a huge part of the first step of any breaking any of those sorts of addictions is to understand me and God need to start being a team and we need to start actually making decisions because right now I'm not and it's showing up everywhere in my life. Mm-hmm. Glenn, here's a question that came yeah. in. What can a wife do to convey to her husband that he is not doing a great job leading the family spiritually and, uh, and yet I want to do it in a kind and encouraging way? Great. Um, first tip, don't talk about what you don't want. And here's what I mean by that. Most people, and somehow we especially do this to women in our society, I'm not sure why, have a hard time saying, honey, here's what I would like. They sort of start off talking about what they don't like. 
And by that time, the other person's already so defensive because basically they just heard a list of everything they're doing wrong. That's hard not to get defensive, which means whatever the actual point is gets lost in the shuffle. So it's really important if we're talking to one another to remember, I want to honor that sacred connection between my husband, me and my friend, me and that kid. I have to think, okay, I want to talk to them about my picture of what our relationship could be. What's that vision look like? Honey, here's what I would like to see. Here's how I'd like our relationship to be different. Here's what I would ask of you. So we're clearly starting off from here's what I do want, not what I don't want. And that means you have to have a prayerful God helps you think this through picture of what you do want. We don't do that as a knee-jerk reaction either. You get some serious prayerful thought to what is that godly picture I have in my head of what I would like to see in my relationship with my husband, and then I'm going to convey that picture as lovingly as I know how. Mm -hmm. I'm going to start with here's what I do want. Because what I don't want is not a vision. It's a lack of a vision. What if a guy's knee-jerk response would be, well, here, here I go feeling inadequate again? If let's, um, say, let's say I'm the wife and my husband says that to me, okay, now I just feel like I can't do anything right. I'm going to say, okay, well, that's on me. I must have said that wrong. Here's what I meant. I'm not going to get defensive. I'm just going to say, because I didn't mean to talk about anything you're doing wrong. I just want to talk about what I really would love for our marriage to look like. Mm-hmm. Let me come back to that. So I'm, I'm going to say part of being a second responder is, again, I don't go with my knee-jerk reaction to that. Oh, I never said that. Why are you so... I'm just going to stay with my God-given thought, which is I'm literally just trying to draw a picture for you of the vision I have for our marriage. Mm-hmm. Let's go back, uh, Glenn, to okay. to God with tr- transformation and marriage yeah, force us I, to grow and mature. It really and does. It, I, how I, it motivates us. I honestly think one of the reasons for marriage is to help us keep growing, and here's what I mean by that. I, I believe with my whole heart that our God is a God of transformation that I'm always constantly being called to take one step out of my comfort zone because my comfort zone is so comfortable because nothing ever changes. That's why it's so predictable. It's very comfortable. But my God wants me to keep learning and growing. So God is always asking me to take one step past where I'm comfortable. Not a million, just one, just to keep growing one step at a time. Well, see, if I'm just living by myself, I probably have lots of things I could get better at, but I probably don't. Let's say I'm sort of a slob and I kind of know I am. And I keep thinking, I should get neater, but you know, I probably never do. Let's say I live with somebody now, a roommate that I really love, a spouse that's really important to me, a kid that I'm trying to be a good role model for. I go from thinking, yeah, I should probably get better at that to thinking, no, I need to get better at that. Because there's somebody in my house that that matters to. And there's just a whole different motivation level when it matters to somebody else. I said on the show a long time ago that I've been so clear about this like since my high school days, I ran on the cross country team in the fall. So in the summer, we'd have to run all the time just to get ready. And, you know, it's blistering hot during the day, so you don't want to do that. So me and my friend Mark would get up at like five o'clock in the morning and go running. Um, it was the first time I found out how really sweet um, the early mornings are in Minnesota in the summer. I had no idea until then. <laughs> I was never up. <laughs> but, so we go running. But here's what I know. Every day when my alarm clock went off at quarter to five, if I didn't know for sure that my friend Mark was waiting for me at the corner, I probably wouldn't have gone. Even though it would be better for me, I'd be healthier, I'd be stronger, I'd be more likely to be a star on the team or at least do well, it's going help me be healthier. I mean, none of those reasons, I swear to you, would have gotten me out of bed. I got out of bed because my friend Mark was waiting for me, period. And so we will do things for others that we literally wouldn't do for our own self. And so there's something about being in a relationship with people that really matter to us. Could be a spouse, could be a kid. Honestly, it could be a pet that you really love. Somebody that really, really matters to you. 
you will have a way higher probability of becoming your best self than you would if you just don't interact in those relationships. Because if something doesn't matter to somebody else, we kind of quit doing it. Mm. Now, somebody else can be all kinds of different else's. So I'm not saying marriage is the only else. But I just mean, if there's not, even if I go to church, but there's nobody there who greets me or seems happy to see me or talks to me or prays with me or lets me know that they're, they're really glad I'm there, pretty soon you quit going. And when people talk about how important it is that church would be friendly, outgoing, caring, see, that's how come. If it doesn't matter to anybody that I'm there, eventually I quit going. You talk to somebody who is really faithful about going to church, and they're saying, oh, I'm going to go to church tomorrow, even though I'm, not, I'm feeling really tired. Well, why are you going? And they're going to give you the name of somebody else. But I told Deb I'd be there because Ray needs me to work on this because I told somebody to bring these name tags because, in other words, because it matters to somebody. Mm-hmm. Well, see, so having something in your life that everything you do matters to them <laughs> has a way of sort of almost forcing you, not in a mean way, but like in a motivating sort of way, to be your best version of yourself. And since God has always wanted me to learn and grow and become my better and better version of myself, if I'm in a healthy relationship, then that's what happens, is it really encourages me to do stuff I probably should have done all along, but I wouldn't do before because it didn't matter to anybody <laughs> except myself. And that's not enough motivation for us. It's funny how true that is, but... People say we should have good self-discipline. I think if things don't matter to somebody else, we don't do them. <laughs> so I think self-discipline is sort of a joke. What about uh, good motivation versus someone who might just be a pleaser and they're wearing themselves so thin and oh, they're semi-miserable? That is a great question, except for the semi part. So here's the thing. If I know, for example, that I'd be a better human if I slowed down, listened to God, was more patient, and I had this kid in my life who I really, really want to treat well, who really matters to me, a niece and nephew, it doesn't matter. Then when I'm with them, see, I really want to slow down and do all the things I know I should do anyway. Now notice, that's different than being a pleaser. The things I do in relationship that I wouldn't do otherwise, I do because I know all along that that would be best for me. But the fact that it's just best for me doesn't matter to anybody else doesn't motivate me. So I'm doing it because God has put it on my heart that I know that would make me a better person, better husband, better friend, whatever. A pleaser doesn't do something because that's a God calling on their heart or because God is calling them to get better at that thing. They're just searching after human approval, like somebody will pat me on the head and tell me I'm a great guy. Well, that's not a godly path. That's a really human path. And that's not going to take me to a place I become a better and better person. In fact, what will happen is I gradually lose track of myself. I become less and less of a person. That's not an abundant life. That's not what God calls us into. Mm -hmm. Here's a little sidetrack, Glenn, a question that came in. What are the consequences when parents never talk with their kids about sex? How can it impact those children's future marriages? Here's a really interesting thing. Saying nothing about sex is worse than talking about it all the time. Because if there's something so big of a deal, they can't even talk about it. Guess how much weight that puts on it in my back of my mind if I'm a kid. This is so big, you can't even talk about it. I've now made it way more important in my mind than it actually is. Mm-hmm. Somehow in my mind, it's now gone from being one of the things that happens in an intimate relationship to being the thing, because it actually makes it too important. So it's really important to have honest conversations with our kids just so they understand, oh, this is just a thing about life like everything else about life. I would talk to them about nutrition too. You know what I mean? It's like this is one part of living a good life. But if I don't talk about it, I actually give it more weight than it deserves. Mm-hmm. It is a, um, 
A great question. So thank you for that question. So we don't, you say that we don't mature by blaming the other person. Right. That's, this is going to be a big point. I think we should. Great. Because I think in relationships all too often, if a couple comes to me for counseling, for example, very often, um, one of them is actually there because they secretly or not very secretly think, Glenn, if you can fix my partner who's so messed up, that would be great. If they could just get it together, I'd be fine. Instead of thinking, no, really, we each have part of what's going on, and we each need to see our half of what's going on. Mm-hmm. We'll talk about this more after break, because I think what I call the 50-50 rule. I used to talk with people about it after I got to know them for a while, or later in the seminar, if I was doing a seminar, but now I talk about it right at the front, because I really get this. Unless we understand the 50-50 rule, that we're each a part of whatever's going wrong in our relationship, there's nothing I can teach you that's going to be helpful to you. Mm-hmm. So we're going to start from there, even though I... Um, irritate all the people who think they're not part of the problem. If I could just cure the other person, things would be great. But if that's what they really think, I might as well just know that at the beginning because we're wasting our time. <laughs> so. mm-hmm. All right, we'll take a little break. Dr. Glenn Pickering is our guest. And if you uh, have a question, you can send it over. 877-933-2484. We're talking about marriage today and how relationships are really the way we grow and mature. It's transformational. We'll be right back. is my guest today and right before we went to break we were talking about the 50 50 rule which glenn i would imagine doesn't go over well with a lot of people well it's interesting for me it's just literally true if there's any problem in a relationship with my friend my colleague my spouse doesn't matter that keeps coming up i promise you we're both doing something that keeps that interaction going the avoidance thing or the complaining or the being defensive or the, I mean, whatever it is that happens in that relationship that's not helpful, mm-hmm. we just need to understand we're both part of that. It's not your fault. It's not my fault. Like in the game of tag, like we just have to figure out who's the bad one. We have to break out of that very worldly way of thinking and think, no, no, what's my half of that? So when Jesus said, you know, why do you see the speck in your brother or sister's eye? You don't see the log in your own eye. I mean, I get that comes across sort of harsh maybe, but I think he's just trying to, again, just sort of jolt us into understanding it's so easy to think everything in the relationship is somebody else's fault. We see what they do wrong, and we can be all critical and judgmental of that, or we can ask ourselves, what's my part? And Jesus is just trying to say, you'll never be in right relationship with anybody unless your first question anytime there's a conflict is to ask yourself, what was my part of that? And we have to be dead honest with ourselves. I Sometimes we're afraid of the truth, of course, but when Jesus said the truth will, truth will set you free, he wasn't kidding. And, but then the second half of that, as I say, and it's okay. Like, it's, it's, yes, I'm half of that, and it's okay, because so often the first thing that happens if people understand, oh, I can't keep blaming my partner, my friend, my colleague, this other person in my life, that it's not that they're a bad person. And then they shift over to thinking, oh, so Glenn, you're saying it's all my fault and I'm a bad person. And I'm like... 
No, that's just the same thought that got you messed up in the first place, except flipped over. That, mm-hmm. that thought, that everything has to be either all my fault or all your fault, literally just messes with our brain. So we have to understand, yes, I'm half of that problem, and that's okay. Don't worry. doesn't mean you're bad. It doesn't mean you will never get better. It doesn't mean there's something wrong with you. It just means, oh, almost scientifically, I see my half of that problem. Got it. Now that I see my half of that problem, I kind of have a clue now about what I could do differently going forward. So it's not supposed to be a blaming thing or a shame thing or I feel bad about myself thing. It really is just supposed to clarify for us kind of what's, what would my, what first step could I take to start doing that thing differently now that I see what my part is. So it's a combination. And I, I really talk with people a lot about this now right from the beginning of all my seminars that, that we're each half of whatever went wrong, which is okay. And that's okay. So what? Don't judge yourself. Don't, like I don't want you to judge your partner or your friend or your colleague. But I don't want you to judge yourself either. Only just as calmly as you can think, okay, there's no condemnation in Christ. Right. So we don't have to be afraid of the truth. If the truth is my part of that is I, I talk too fast or I don't listen enough or I kind of shut down. I just need to just see that that's what happens. Because as soon as I get what happens, I know what I can do differently. Mm-hmm. That's where the freedom comes in. That's where the transformation comes in. So mm-hmm. it's not supposed to be a shaming thing. It's supposed to be a, like clarifying, oh, now I know what to do. So that's why I say to people, it's important to see your half. With the spirit of, and that's okay. It's a learning opportunity. It just helps show me how to get better. No judgment of anybody in either direction. That Our ego just loves to judge things. And it's like, well, if I can't judge you, then I'll judge my own self. It's like, no, that's not helpful. We need to understand, yep, I'm half of how that goes wrong. Uh-huh. That's just true. It's not good. It's not bad. It's just true. And the truth will set you free. Once mm-hmm. we see that, we think, okay, cool. Now I kind of know what to do. If a couple comes into your office, though, and there is an egregious sin that's been committed, maybe you can elaborate on how the 50-50 rule would um, affect that relationship. Oh, sure. Like, for example, there's a person um, who came into my office the other day, a couple, who um, he had been secretly doing a certain habit that I won't bother getting into, and she found out about it and was really mad and upset and even thought she might leave him. And it looks like, yep, that's his fault. He's been doing this thing in secret, never told her that he's bad. And it's easy to go there. But as soon as I started watching their interaction pattern, I thought, there's so much criticism. There's so much judgment. There's so much plain tag. She could say to him, well, you should have told me the truth. Uh Uh-huh. Except they live in a relationship where the truth gets you condemned. (laughs) Judged. Criticized. It's not safe to tell the truth. So in relationships where it's not safe to tell the truth, people don't. I see this in parenting all the time. A parent will say to the kid, oh, I heard that you stole money from the store today. Is that true? No, uh-uh, I didn't do it. Somebody else did it. And then they say to the kid, well, just tell the truth. You won't be in trouble. Just, just tell the truth. I just won't want you to lie. Just don't want you to tell me the truth. And the kid's like, okay, the truth is I did take that money. And the parent's like, how could you do that? That's terrible. I told you never to do that again. How could you? You're grounded, blah, blah, blah. Now, the next time the parent says to the kid, well, just tell the truth. The kid thinks, uh-huh. <laughs> Saw how that went last time. You say you just want to know the truth, but you don't. And I'm just going to get in trouble for telling the truth, so they're not going to. And then the kid gets branded a liar, <laughs> which they are, except there's a reason why they're a liar, because they know the truth just gets them in trouble. So they start lying. And you can say, well, that's their problem. It's like, no, no, no. Those two people set up a relationship where telling the truth was not safe. So no matter how egregious the situation looks, I need to ask myself, what was my part of that? And if I really ask myself, not in a, trying to justify myself, well, I didn't do anything wrong, I didn't, no, no, no. To really be just prayerfully asking God, God, help me see my half of that. God will so happily show you that. Not meanly, 
not harshly, but very clearly. So I can't go into that prayer time trying to justify myself or prove to God I'm not half responsible for that. I have to go into that conversation thinking, okay, God, what was my half? I actually want to know. Mm-hmm. And God will show us what that looks like no matter what. Mm-hmm. And Glenn, how was Tag involved in that interaction? Which part of that? Well, when there's been an injustice, there's been a secret activity, and right. uh, there's obviously this this anger right. that's being displayed, and it seems like there's some righteousness to that anger. Right. And here's the thing. I really learned, hmm, how can I say? If my kid comes to me and says, Dad, I feel really bad. I stole money from the store today. If my head is on straight, I don't do my knee-jerk reaction. I give myself time to let me and God just pray about that for two or three seconds. I'm going to say, well, I'm not proud of that behavior, of course. I'm so proud of you that you could tell me. That was incredibly mature. What do you think we should do? I can say, well, we should hand the money back. I can say, okay, cool. You want me to go with you? Yes. Okay. How about if we go do that right now? Like, it's so easy to all justified and righteous and tell myself I'm so mad. But see, that's such an ego human way to think. If I could really just stop long and think, what would God say to that little kid who was so scared and they came to me and told me they stole money? The loving God who loves that kid with a steadfast love their first reaction is not going to be judgment or condemnation. So if I'm really trying to let God be with me, then that will not be my reaction either. Mm-hmm. And I need to slow down long enough to make sure it's not. <laughs> it's so easy to go to judgment, criticism, condemnation. Our ego just loves comparing people. But that ego is not our friend from a spiritual perspective. It makes us really self-centered. Mm-hmm. And some of the knee-jerk reaction a parent might have, might they think, this is not a good reflection on me. I right, taught exactly. you better. Right, exactly. Um, so, you should know right. by now. I know. That's and not so, the right thing to do. Right. And so all the stuff that parents says, well, I'm so mad. I think, no, 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 you are ashamed. And shame makes you behave in really, really destructive ways. Adam and Eve knew that. So that all the rest of us know it. When we get caught up in shame, we behave in ways that later on we're like, oh, crud. I let my shame do my talking for me. Mm-hmm. It's not helpful. It's never helpful. So you're right. Well, often the parent will get caught up in thinking it's almost a reflection on them. And it's so important that you, just like we were talking about a second ago, let God remind me how incredibly great that kid is, how important they are, how literally lucky I am. It was a miracle that they were born, much less that they're still here. Mm-hmm. And that they came to me. Wow. I want to take just a second to appreciate the miracle of all that before my lips start moving. So that is an incredible, well-intentioned, thoughtful, calm response. Can you make those in the midst of crazy, busy, frantic days? The interesting thing is that's when I have to make them. Hmm. When I'm calm and reflective and just coming out of my prayer time, I can make those out pretty fast. (laughs) (laughs) I just know. like, So I, I just really mean like pretty much no matter what's happening, I want to give myself two seconds. So pretty much no matter what you say to me at this point, a good thing, a bad thing, an interesting thing, you're going to see me do that. You see me nod my head, and then I'm going to talk. I just want to take two seconds where me and God talk just for a second about who's talking to me and what I would really want to say, and then I'm going to say something. And the more intense the situation is that I'm in, the more important that is the more likely I am to say the wrong thing, which means that's even more important than to take those two or three or four seconds, slow it online, think, what do I actually want to say here? Mm -hmm. 
Glenn, great hour. So oh, cool. as, as people are hearing, processing this, um, what can they walk away with just being reminded of? Well, two things. A, I want everyone to be able to hear this as clearly as you can. You are amazing. You are precious. You are just as God created you. You are not only good enough, you're flat out amazing. And I want you to always know that. Second, that means so is every single person that you ever talk to, interact with, or see. So, just like I want you to remember who you are, it's important in all your relationships to remember who they are. Because God made them exactly as perfect and precious as God made you. That's a great reminder. I, I hope people heard that and and maybe even jotted it down in their journal and they can look at it every day. Cool. Important point. Dr. Glenn Pickering has been my guest. That's all the show we have for today. And guess what? Tomorrow we start our spring fundraiser. And that is usually one of the most joyful weeks of the year because it's kind of that homecoming where we all get together and celebrate what God's doing in the life of this ministry and how incredibly generous and, and giving people are and how sacrificially you do give. You you show up and you and you make an incredible difference in what we're doing here at Faith Radio. We're excited to be with you tomorrow. I'm looking forward to it. And Rosie and I and Carmen and Susie and, and Ben and everybody's going to be uh, available tomorrow. We'll be all here. Have a great night, everyone. See you tomorrow. Thanks for listening. Programming like this is made available through your support. Information available at MyFaithRadio.com.